You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. Good morning. There we go. Sweet. It worked. Yeah. Uh, so my, uh, my name is Marty. Uh, I'm a member here at Mountain City Church. Uh, I'm excited to be sharing with you this morning um, from Genesis chapter 3. As Nate said, we're, we're spending some time, who knows how much, in the book of Genesis as we're working through it. Um, and so I want to open us in prayer, uh, and then we'll, we'll read uh, Genesis 3, 8 through 13 together. So let me open us in a word of prayer. Father, again, thank you just for this morning and just the songs that we've been able to sing to you, the praises we've been able to sing and lift up to you this morning. God, thank you that our life in you is no longer defined by our previous self, by the flesh, by the the sin that we were once known for, but that we are now yours, that we are redeemed, that when the Father looks upon us, he sees your Son. May we desire to be close to you and in a right relationship with you this morning. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, and let's, let's read um, Genesis 3, 8 through 13 uh, together. And they heard the sound of the Lord. And they heard the sound of the Lord um, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord um, the Lord God among the trees of the garden but God called upon them and said where are you and he said I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself and he said who told you that you were naked Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave to me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This morning, as we are going to be looking at at this passage and unpacking this this passage, um, there's this idea that other theologians have come up with it. This, this passage is almost like a game of hide-and-seek. And I, I am not a, a parent yet, but I do work with children. Uh, this last week, my wife and I were serving at a camp up in Pennsylvania. We'll be back there again today. But we had 47 8, 9, 10-year-olds. Um, and if you've ever worked with 8, 9, 10-year-olds or toddlers, you know that they can do some interesting things. And since the children are gone, I'll show you this picture. Maybe you've seen videos like this online um, or videos, they're just hysterical, of children that have cut their own hair. Some of you are looking around. Okay, so you were that child. Okay, uh, they, Whether they cut off a pigtail or like that child just went full buzz cut right down the middle. Um, 
the videos of this are hysterical. Um, the videos of this of these children and their interactions. One girl, she, it was great. She just looked at her mom. She says, "It's okay. I'm a real person. It will grow back." She's clearly cut a couple of Barbie's hair before. Um, or others, "I'll be a big girl. It'll come back. I'm real." Um, and others, they, they try and hide it. They try to hide behind doors or hide behind curtains. Um, there's other videos like this of kids getting caught doing things. Another favorite one of mine is these, these two brothers. They have um, somehow gotten into paint, and they're completely painted head to toe, sitting in the yes, yeah. And the dad is asking them, what have you done? And they just look. Like, and like, who did this? And the one brother quickly rats out the younger brother, and he covers his face in shame. It's, it goes on, and like, who's going to clean this up? They're pointing at each other. Children know how to hide when they've done something wrong. Children know how to hide when they have done something wrong. And in those videos, it's always, it's usually the mom, what have you done? What have you done? Or the dad's like, oh, what have you done? Uh, it's, listen, they're different voices. And Eve, here in Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 13, we hear that same thing. Adam and Eve, they've just messed up. As we looked the last week, they're now, they're, ate of the fruit, they ate of the tree, they disobeyed God, they twisted God's word, they disobeyed God, and now there begins to be the consequences. It ended, um, Joe ended last week, verse 7, and their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made clothes for themselves. They're trying to cover up. They're trying to cover up. They instantly knew that they were sinned, that they sinned, their eyes were open. they realized they were naked, and now there's the consequences. They have this horrible buzz cut. They realize the consequences. And they cover up. And so then dad comes home. They hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. And they hide themselves among the garden. They hide themselves among the garden. And God says to them, where are you? God says to them, where are you? Um, he, um, one theologian, again, Hughes, he says, um, God's where are you? Uh, was not remedial like a father's question to a naughty child hiding behind a door to avoid his face. The where are you asks, why are you there? Is that where you should be? Come out here and face me. The initial question is not an an indictment or accusation like, uh, where are you hiding? But simply, where are you? There is no hint of an accusation. God nudged Adam to come to his senses, the process was grace. The process was grace. This isn't, again, this isn't a why, God knew where they were. God didn't, this isn't like the one time God didn't know when something happened. God knew where they were, but it was, why, why are you like this? What, what have you done? <sighs> Spoiler alert, it's almost like I got a mess to clean up now. Um, that's the end of the sermon. But what have you done? What have you done? Where are you? Why have you done this thing? And it's, again, it's interesting. In my mind, I, I, I like movies, and I, I kind of imagine, well, what if, what if Adam and Eve didn't pop out just then? What if they stayed hidden, and just like for the rest of their lives, they're trying to hide from God, if such a thing can happen? And what an interesting relationship that would have been. Um, anyways, that's just a fun little rabbit trail we're not going down. Um, so God asked, where are you? Where are you? And so we're going to look at how did Adam and Eve respond? How did Adam and Eve respond? 
Well, instantly, um, <laughs> instantly, we see in verses, um, verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Up until this point, nakedness wasn't a problem. We see in Genesis chapter 2, they, they were naked and everything was fine. They were naked and everything was fine. But now, this is a problem. I heard you coming. I was afraid. Interesting. Um, I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate. <laughs> Talk about throwing your wife under the bus. Okay, men, it happens here in Genesis chapter 3. Guilty. Um, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? She said, the serpent deceived me and I ate instantly here. I mean, it's, we're in the third chapter of the Bible and instantly after sin, we begin to see how their relationship changed. Adam and Eve, they were living this life together. There wasn't there wasn't someone for Adam, so God made a helper for him. Like, so there was this helper, there was this union, there was this togetherness, there was this perfect couple. They were the only couple, but it was a perfect couple. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3, and everything changes. Everything changes. As Joe reminded us uh, several weeks ago, he says, whenever we're reading scripture, we need to see how has sin messed up what we're reading, and where is Jesus? How has sin messed up? Well, we went through this perfect relationship. And so how did they respond? Ultimately, Adam and Eve, they responded with fear. I heard you and I was afraid. They hid. There was this nakedness. There was this shame. We, we made clothes for ourselves to cover up, to try and hide, to undo what we did, frantically trying to put the hair back on the, the person's head. Or if, if you, you're like me and you have a younger brother and you, you get in a fight and cause them to cry, stop crying, dad will hear. You can punch me back. Undo. There's deceit. God, the woman that you gave me, she gave it to me, and, and I ate. There's no confession of sin. It's just a passing the blame. Guilty. Passing the blame to someone else. All these things are, are, a, are a response to the sin that was exposed to Adam and Eve. They, they were exposed that's why they made clothes for themselves. They were exposed. That's why they hid. They knew what they were supposed to do and broke it, and now they instantly knew the consequences they're trying to hide. And when I was originally looking at this passage over a month ago when Joe was asking me to speak, I, uh, I was reading it. And I was excited to go with one direction with the text, but God, in his sovereignty and goodness, led me in another direction for us this morning. Um, what I want to look at and unpack is this. Exposed sin always generates a response. Exposed sin always generates a response. How did Adam and Eve respond? Again, fear. They hid. Shame. Deceit. Blame. We, we see this in, in this passage. I, 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 I'm not, I don't believe I'm twisting the text in any way to say these things. Uh, like it is, clear, it is clear that Adam and Eve 
When their sin was exposed, how did they respond? They blamed each other. There was fear. They tried to pass it off. They, they didn't own up to it. They just hid behind it and tried to twist it and make it somebody else's fault. We see this pattern throughout, throughout Scripture. I mean, when we read the Old Testament, how did Israel respond to their sin? How did Israel respond to their sin? One story that instantly comes to mind for me is whenever they, uh, the Israelites, they escape Egypt. God leads them through the, the Red Sea, and then uh, they all are excited. They celebrate. Moses goes up, on, up onto the, the mountain. He's like, guys, I'll be right back. I'm going to go talk to God. He goes up on Mount Sinai, gets the, uh, gets the law, and as he's coming down... There's a golden calf. And he goes up to Aaron. He's like, Aaron, what have you done? And Aaron's like, um, we, we, we threw gold in a fire and this came out. He didn't even own it up. He's like, no, no. But if you read, like, actually what happens, Aaron's like, no. Hey, God. What actually happened? Aaron's like, hey. They all go to Aaron. They're like, hey, we want to make a God. Okay, give me your gold. And he makes a God. But he's like, no, we basically threw stuff in a fire and this came out. So, Jacob and Esau. Whenever Jacob, Jacob's, he tricks his brother Esau, and his sin is exposed. What wants to happen? Esau wants to kill him. So what does he do? He runs away. Over and over and over through the Old Testament. Whenever King Saul, when he didn't do what God said to do about wiping out all the Amalekites, and he brought back some of the spoils and brought back the king, and the, the prophet Samuel comes up and he says, Did you do what God said? Knowing he didn't. Saul's like, Yeah, we did it. And he's like, Well, then why do I hear animals in the background? Well, we, uh, we, we brought this as an offering for God. Over and over and over again, we see these same things. We see fear, hiding, shame, deceit, blame, self-justification. Oh, we wanted to do this. Did God say to do that? Well, no. Then why'd you do it? Well, over and over and over again, we see this throughout the Old Testament. Whenever sin is exposed, whenever wrongdoing is exposed, people resort to being like Adam. Adam and Eve, they hide, they blame, they pass it. Turn with me to um, 2 Samuel. Second we'll, Samuel, we'll look again at King David. King David, the great leader, the man after God's own heart. He... <laughs> As VeggieTales did it with a rubber ducky, he unfortunately did it with Bathsheba. Um, thank you to the two parents that get that joke. Um, <laughs> thank you. It's okay. It's not that good. I know. It's. I'm a teacher. I'm used to getting no response. Uh, <laughs> David in Second Samuel chapter 11 and 12. 11 and 12, when he commits adultery with Bathsheba, and as he goes through and he, and he has Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed on the front lines of battle to cover up his adulterous affair. That, and David, he probably thought he got away with it, and then she gets pregnant. And so then he has this whole elaborate scheme of bringing Uriah back, and Uriah won't actually go in and like sleep with his wife. He's like, my men are in battle. So he stays outside and... Ultimately, David sends him back into battle and has the, the rest of the army retreat with Uriah out front, and Uriah is killed. And then Nathan the prophet shows up in chapter 12. David, he tried to hide his sin. 
He tried to cover it up, tried to make it right. Right. And then in chapter 12, Nathan the prophet shows up. And he gives this little little, uh, parable, if you will, a little story in chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he sent him and said to him, There are two men in a certain city. One is a rich man and the other is poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, um, which he uh, bought. And he brought it up, and he grew up with him, and and with his children, and he used to eat um, of his morsels and drink of his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, um, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare the guest who had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you this house in the land of Judah. And if this was too little, I I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David, he tried to hide it. He was angered. And then there's this humility. And as Becca read for us, Psalm 51 is ultimately David's response to this. David, he does repent. He does own up to his sin. David owns up to his sin. He says, against you, God, and you only have I sinned. And in his flesh, David, he tried to hide it. He tried to make it right. I can fix this. But once his sin was exposed, once he couldn't hide from it anymore, we see David, he responded differently than King Saul. We see he responded differently than others. sin, it always generates a response. So we, so we saw how Adam responded. We see, we still looked at a couple examples how Israel and the nation of Israel and individual Israel responded. We see a couple examples here how David, King David, or this instance where David responded, and how when his sin was exposed, a man after God's own heart, how he repented, tried to hide, but eventually he was led to repentance and was forgiven of his sins. But when exposed sin is always generates a response, how, how did God respond? How did God respond? How does God respond when sin is exposed? Well, we, again, in Genesis 3, God's in the garden and he says, Where are you? Where, where are you? Come, come to me. This game of hide and seek. You're hiding, but God is seeking them. Where are you? Why are you there? That's, that's not where you're supposed to be. That's not how I've created you. That's not how I intend this relationship to work. 
as, as Nate said, there's this, uh, there's the fear of the Lord, which is this awe and reverence in respect of him, not cowering and hiding. That's, a, that's almost like a Greek idea, like Zeus is going to smite us with lightning bolts. That's, that's not the God of the Bible. He's a loving, pursuing God. Yes, he demands justice, he demands holiness, but he also seeks us. How did God respond? The greatest way is he sent his son, Jesus. And I know, I know most of us know this passage. So that's, that's why we're going there, because it's so good, and I need to be reminded of it. John 3, 16 and 17 and 18. <laughs> listen to this, listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Where are you? Not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And the people <laughs> and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. How did God respond? He sent his son because we were hiding in the dark. Because we have shame, because we have fear, because we have all of these things that sin has brought upon us, we hide from God. And we would not desire him on our own. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, like he's given us over to the futility of our minds. We naturally don't desire God. Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned, the one that created them, the one that they had a right relationship with, they weren't like, hey, we need to go to God and figure out why this naked thing is a thing now. No, they ran the exact opposite direction and they heard him. They're like, dad's coming, hide. God sought us. God is seeking us and seeking his. And so he sent his son to redeem us because we've already, we already are condemned until we are in him. So Jesus, so God sent his son. And so again, if we want to have a little bit more fun, sin always, um, exposed sin always generates a response. Again, so how did the people respond to Jesus when he was on the, this earth? Um, I'm sure everyone just loved him. No, look at, if you look at Matthew 12, like they attempted to kill Jesus because he exposed sin. Um, Jesus's uh, cousin, John the Baptist. How did they respond when John the Baptist called out Herod and his wife's, uh, wife's sin? In Matthew 14, John the Baptist calls out the sin and, and how the, the, their marriage um, 
all the problems with their marriage and how it's not right that they married each other. And so John the Baptist calls out this sin and ultimately he's in prison and then beheaded at a birthday party. Exposed sin always generates a response. We saw in Herod and his wife that there was anger, that there was shame and this pride. I have to keep our image. It ultimately led to the death of John the Baptist. Exposed sin, it always generates a response. So as we say, as I've been saying these things, so there's really two ways we can respond from two motivations that we can respond to exposed sin, that all people can, can and do respond to exposed sin. We can either respond from the flesh or from the spirit. We can respond in the flesh or in the spirit. We can respond like Adam and Eve and hide and run and cower and fear and cover up and everything else. Or we can respond because of the Spirit and in the Spirit. In Romans 6... Uh, Romans 6, 20 through 23, um, it says, For when we were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit, there's that word again, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? At the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, a restored life, a right relationship with God. So, again, so here Paul is saying, you know, you were once these hiding people, cowering, and the fruit of your life was in darkness, and it was sin, and it was all these byproducts, all this fruit of sin. It says, but now that you're in the light, now that you're in Christ, you're ashamed of those things. Your sin has been exposed, but you're, like, but you're now in Christ, and you have a right relationship with him, which leads to eternal life. You've been set free from sin. You've been set free from sin. We all des- I think everyone desires to be set free from st- sin, or at least set free, if they don't know it's sin, they at least want to be set free from guilt. And so every fallen man's apparent seeking is not after God, but after the idolatrous God, lowercase g, God of his own making. Fear and shame and flight are the incurable stigma of the fall. We only begin to deal with them when God says, where are you? Where are you? So, so what do we do with this? Well, again, we need to respond to the flesh and spirit. So this is a good thing to remember. Jesus is better than Adam. 
Jesus is greater than Adam. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, let's see what Scripture says about that. Jesus is better than Adam. Um, in Romans uh, 6.23, we just read that, like how he, through Jesus we are set free. And in the 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But we, um, but what we are is known to God. For I hope it is also to your conscience. Now, down to verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us in the Spirit. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no, may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, the former, the way of Adam in the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is, by us working really hard, no, no, no. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. In him, we might have the righteousness of God. In him, we are no longer, we no longer have to hide. We no longer have to cower. We no longer have to cover up. We no longer have to be afraid. In him, we have the confidence, we have the boldness to be in his presence because Christ is better than Adam. Adam brought sin. Paul says in, in Romans that, you know, through one man, sin enters the world, but through one man, Jesus, life enters through him. And then the fruit of being in him is love, is peace, is patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We have a new life, a new identity, a new life in Christ that could only come from him. We can put as many leaves on the problem as we want. We're still sinners. It is only through Christ. I'm a person that when I hear a person speak for a while, I, I, I get to the point where I'm like, so what? So what? Okay, I, I get that Jesus is greater than Adam. I, I get that exposed sin. So what? Turn with me again to, to James chapter 4. So what, what? What do we do with all of this? Okay, I, I, I get that there's this, there's this tension that Jesus came, that God sent his son. So what? 
James, he says in, uh, in James chapter 4, uh, near the end of his book, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace there. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. For your sin. Let, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Why are you here? The woman! The snake! Them! They made my brother the Israelites. I just thought, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Yes, we're, we're sinners. We have sinned. And if we stop there, we've just put a fig leaf on the problem. But when we turn to God, as we've seen, like he is faithful to forgive us. He is faithful to forgive us. And he will exalt us. He will raise us up. In him we are restored. In him we are made right. Again, as I was, was thinking on, on, on these passages and on this idea of exposed sin always generates a response. So I guess, so what if I do and so what if I don't? So, so what if I don't? What if, what if I, okay, I've heard all this or, you, or your friends or loved one, they've heard all this. So what if they don't? Scripture has something to say on that as well. Exposed sin always generates a response. One day, all people will respond the same way to God. In Philippians, uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. Get this. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul in Romans 14, uh, 10, 11, he quotes Isaiah that says, one day, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Exposed sin always generates a response. And I said, we have two ways to respond. We can respond to sin in the flesh and cover it up and hide it, and all the byproducts of that. Or we can humble ourselves and submit to the Spirit. One day, all people will be held accountable for their sin before God. One day, 
everyone will ha- know the fear of the Lord, but unfortunately it will be too late for, for them, for many. But this morning, as we are in wrapping this section of the service up and about to enter communion, I just want you to take, take some silence. Take a moment of silence. And how are you responding to exposed sin in your life? And what may you need to do now? Again, James says in James, James chapter 5, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Why are you here? Where are you? Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.